our youth pastor and, and family are out today, so, and, um, and I guess the, the Trimble tribe has already gone upstairs, so we have nobody to dismiss. We are on installment 10 in this series, Born to Praise. You know, <clears throat> when God created, the Bible says, all the animals, all the creatures, the Bible says that uh, from the waters of the seas, he brought forth fish. From the earth, from the ground, he, he brought forth uh, the creeping things and the animals that, that moved upon the earth. But the Bible says that when God made man, it says God spoke to himself and brought forth from himself mankind. Um, the scripture says he spoke to the sea, let the sea produce fish. He spoke to the earth, let the earth, let the ground produce the cattle and, and so forth. But the scripture says that God said, let us. He spoke to himself when he made man. So he rolled up that body of red clay, but then he breathed his own spirit into Adam. So Adam was born from God. And the race of Adam, the human race that we know today, we all, even before we came to know Jesus Christ, as we're living as sinners in this life, lost, blind in our sin, we all had that sense there's something eternal, there's something higher. We're always reaching for that elusive glory, that sense that we are detached and separated that's because that the breath in our lungs first came from God. We were made for Him in His image, in His likeness. And that's that purpose He's calling us back to. We were born to praise God. This morning, if you'll turn in your Bibles in the New Testament to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you want to look at the very end of the chapter, the last two verses, verse 17 and verse 18. And this morning, I want to share about praise, praising God, and the blood covenant. How many of you, when I say the term, the blood covenant, you know what I'm talking about? Not everybody would know, but some people have studied that know. How many of you would be honest this morning and say, I've heard the term blood covenant, but I'm not sure I really know what that is. Let me see your hands. A couple of people. Yeah, good. All right. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17. We're going to use this scripture, verse 17, 18, as a backdrop to talk this morning about the blood covenant and, and praising God as it relates to our relationship with Jesus Christ in the blood covenant. So here we go. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, For our light affliction, which is for the moment or temporary, is working for us more and more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. While we don't look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. That's not easy to do sometimes. Because the things that are seen are temporal or they're immediate. They are right in front of us. But they're passing away. They're temporal, they're temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. This is a reference to our blood covenant relationship in Jesus Christ. The blood covenant is not seen. We see it by hearing God's word and seeing it with the eye of faith. However, 
it is more real than the temporal circumstances that assail and butt up against our life every day. It's more real and more enduring and more powerful than the waves that crash against that rock that you're standing on. And so Paul says, our light affliction. Um, I just thank God for that term, light affliction, because sometimes I go through things and it doesn't feel like a light affliction. But I'm just appreciative that the Lord's furnished me this phrase that I can speak to that situation. So you're just a light affliction because I'm speaking from that eternal vantage point, that more exceeding weight of glory. Well, let me share with you just a little bit about what the blood covenant is and the purpose for the blood covenant. Your relationship with God this morning, the reason you can praise him and he hears and receives that praise, the reason you can pray and have your prayers answered is because you are in a blood covenant relationship with the Father. That is the relationship that you have with God. And so you need to know what that means and what that relationship involves. It began in Genesis chapter 15 when God in the ancient days revealed himself to a man named Abraham. And he reveals to Abraham Abraham's future, and he foretells of Abraham having a, a great life of blessing with God, and not just Abraham, but all of his descendants after him. And God reveals that he's going to have this relationship of blessing with God, and that his, um, his family is going to expand, and the land that God has led him into, called the land of Canaan, which, which today a portion of it is the state of Israel. The land of Canaan originally was much larger than the state of Israel. The land that God gave to Abraham involved a lot of the territories outside the boundaries of Israel today. However, that's just beside the point uh, for those that may find that interesting. So God says, I'm going to give you this land of Canaan that I've sent you to. Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the heaven and the sand upon the sea. And I am going to bless you and through you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed and experience salvation. So the Lord visits him in Genesis chapter 15 and he tells him this and it's recorded uh, in verses um, 7 through 9. And God said unto him, I am the Lord that brought you out of the city of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Now, <clears throat> Abraham hears about how his family is going to be expanded. The only problem is he's 75 years old when God tells him this. And his wife is um, 66 years old and she's barren and can't have children. They've got no kids. He's 75 you get it following this? She's 66, no children. God says, I am going to bless you and your family is going to be more numerous than the sands on the sea. So if you and I were Abraham in that setting and we heard that, we would naturally want to know, well, how do I know this is for real? How do I know this is real? This is really God. So... Abraham points out to God that he has no natural heir. And here he is basically sojourning or visiting in the land of Canaan. He's moved there 
from about seven, eight hundred miles to the east into this land of Canaan. And he asked God, how do I know that what you're saying is real? And the Lord is delighted that Abraham asked him, how do I know that what you're saying is real? Think for a minute. God wants us to ask him, how can I know that your words to me are real? What kind of assurance do you give me? And the Lord was waiting for that question from him. So God answers him, and it is answered in that uh, uh, verses 7 through 9 and verse 18 in Genesis 15. It says, And Abraham said to the Lord, How shall I know that I will inherit it? After God has said, You're going to inherit the land. And God said to him, Take a heifer, a female cow, and, he, and I'm not going to read all the rest, but he says, take these animals and lay them out and uh, slay them and, and part them in two halves. And Abraham knows what's going on. This is a blood covenant ritual. And God is saying to Abraham, I want you to prepare the elements of a blood covenant ritual. So here's the two halves of this heifer, one laid on one side, one laid on the other, on the ground and, and, the, and the lamb and so forth, all laid out the ritualistic elements of a blood covenant. And Abraham knows that a blood covenant is an agreement where two parties come together and they cease being individually exclusive from one another and they combine to become one being. So the unity between the two is now looked at as one complete being. So he understands this is the mechanics of a blood covenant. So God says, I want you to prepare the blood covenant ritual. And the scripture says Abraham does it. And then he's just sitting there waiting for something to happen. And the Bible says, when the sun had gone down, a very thick darkness had uh, fallen. And behold, there came forth a smoking furnace, kind of like a clay. Back then it would have been like a clay oven. And there's obviously fire inside. And, a, a, and there's smoke pouring out of it. And so floating through the air in between the pieces of the animal is this smoking furnace. And also, the scripture says, a flaming torch. And the smoking furnace and the flaming torch passed between the ritualistic pieces of the blood covenant. And the Bible says that very day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abram saying, Unto your seed I have given the land. So God repeats the promise after he takes him through the ritual of the blood covenant. Now Abram understands. This is not just God giving a man a dream and saying, this is what your future is going to be. But God takes him through the process of entering into oneness with him. Now how many of you in thinking about this can think of a similar kind of relationship that many of you have gone through in your life today. Who said marriage? Somebody said, there you go, absolutely. The two shall be one flesh, right? You know that when that happens, you become one. That oneness is there. And so, um, so Abraham has said to God, how do I know that you really are going to Give me children. I'm 
my wife's barren, I'm 75 years old, and how do I know this is actually going to take place? And you know when you, when you went to that wedding where you married your spouse, that question is there in the background being answered by the ceremony. I love you today, we're having a great time, we have a great relationship, we want to be one, but how do I know 10 years from now you're really going to feel this way towards how do I, how can I depend, if we go buy a house together, how do I know you're going to be there with me? How do I know that if we have children together, we're going to raise them together? Now I know I'm stepping on some soft ground here, but uh, are, do you get what I'm saying? The blood covenant provides context for relationships so that we can know that what we feel and declare today is going to bind us down the road, 10 years down the road. Now, you get into a relationship with somebody that changes their mind, changes their character, and life happens to people, and they change. And so I don't need to see a show of hands, but how many, how many of you can relate to the fact that 10 years into that marriage... Some, you know, you couldn't wait to go through that ceremony, get to that honeymoon, and then start your lives together. And Kathy and I tomorrow are going to celebrate our 46th anniversary. And I've basically selected this message just so that I could say that this morning and call attention to that. Um, but in all honesty, how many of you have been there? You're starting out. You just can't wait to get into that relationship, that marriage. You're excited. Um, and then 10 years later, you're just eyes darting back and forth. How the heck did I get into this? How do I get out of it? You feel trapped in that relationship. You don't feel the same way. Everybody who's been married has moments like that. And if anyone's been married for a year or more, says, I've never had, or maybe 10, I don't know. Um, sometimes it takes a while, but everyone gets there to that point sometimes. And so, you, so how do you get past that point? The blood covenant helps to make you into the person that fulfills that commitment so that your life is not based on how I feel 10 years from now rather than how I feel today. And also, too, people enter into those marriages and we're imperfect people, but this is the living God. I am the Lord, I change not. And so God's love never changes. His mercy never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is consistent. And so he enters into a, a relationship with a man who he knows is going to change from day to day, and, and he's human. But God says, I have a love, and with that love, I have a plan. I can make you fulfill the plans and purposes that I have for your life if you and I can become one together. And so think about it. The two halves of that animal as they're lying there represents Abraham, or you, and God in Jesus Christ. And so God said, I am going to bind myself with you. Remember Jesus' prayer in John 17 when he prayed, O oh, Father, that they may be one even as we are one, I and you and you and me. 
In other words, when, when, when you became born again and Jesus Christ came into your life, he didn't come into your life as somebody to believe in, as a focus point for your faith or, or a set of principles to live by. He came into your life with his spirit and with his blood. In other words, your nature and your being was transformed. A transformation began to take place, but the beginning, the initiation of that transformation, what the Bible calls being born again, uh, what the Bible refers to as a new creation, has taken place in you. And so you're walking in the development of that new creation, but you're not the same being, the same creature that you were when you were a sinner without hope. Now, we often like to say, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and that's appropriate. There's nothing wrong with saying that. But really, you need to embrace the fact that while you see yourself perhaps as a sinner saved by grace, heaven regards you as a new creation. There has been a transformation, an elemental change, an elemental transformation within you. And your emotions in your mind, your idiosyncrasies, and all those things are, are trying to catch up with that change. But that change is there. You are that new being. The perfect one lives within you. And that's why you and I can grow and why we can continue to be Christ-like without, without trying to be religious, without going out and trying to hammer out the cruelty of uh, our life on the cruel anvil of religion. Instead, we walk in relationship. Blood covenant. Blood covenant. Father said, I'll never leave or forsake you. We will be one. So Abraham understands, okay, God and me are going to be one. And God went on to say, I'm going to make this covenant and I'm going to establish it. In Genesis 17, God came and visited him again a second time and said, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Everyone say everlasting covenant. Everlasting. Now, believe it or not, you are considered in heaven one of the descendants of Abraham. And there may not be a single person here that has a Jewish heritage background. But in the book of Galatians, the Bible says that um, you, by receiving Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, have become Abraham's children by faith. The covenant God made with Abraham was passed on to you. So when God spoke to Abraham, he was talking about you. He was seeing you. So when the Lord says, my covenant is with you for every perpetual generation, you are one of those generations. And God said, I will keep this covenant forever. It is an everlasting covenant. So the purpose, if I could summarize for the blood covenant, before we talk about how praise integrates with the blood covenant, I just want you to understand at least a little bit um, that the purpose of the blood covenant is to lift your relationship with God out of the shifting tides of emotion and set it upon the rock of God's promise to you. Your relationship with Jesus isn't based on how you feel from day to day, but it is established and set in heaven upon the rock of God's promise. The relationship you have with God, regardless of how you feel about it, is determined by what Jesus has done and what he has said about you. 
regardless of how you feel. That's why He is forever dealing with us and ever pulling us. He's not pulling on you trying get your act together. Although I think He'd appreciate it if some of you would get your act together. Um, but that's, and there's my wife on the back row going. And that's why we've been married for 46 years. So, it's not so much that God is saying, get your act together. He is constantly calling you back to the place where you are seated on the rock. You're you live because Jesus lives. Uh, most people know Galatians 2.20. They've been hanging around this church for any length of time. Um, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I... But Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Think about it. The life I'm now living, I'm living by the faith of the Son of God at work in me, who loved me and gave himself for me. So the Holy Spirit is working in me. Jesus is working in me. So God's constantly calling me back to that relationship. Nick, I live in you. You are part of me. We are one. And he's constantly trying to wake me up to that fact. Otherwise, I'm out there, quote, trying to be a Christian. As I say, hammering, trying to hammer out my life on the cruel anvil of religion. Works and trying to be better. And the whole time, all I'm doing is getting myself wound up in condemnation and guilt. And I'm goofing up worse with every day. Have you ever noticed that? That the more you try... To run away from bad habits, the, the more they increase. And the answer isn't, oh, just kick back and let them have their way. The answer is to run to Jesus, where he has given victory over everywhere. He has defeated those things. It's in loving him. It's in embracing him. It's in praising him that the shackles fall off and that freedom comes. That's the power of the blood covenant. That's God at work. And let me just take a moment and say this. I, I've preached a number of series over the years on the blood covenant, so that, it's, that information's available if you'd like it. But uh, one of the things you should know is that in ancient times when, when two parties would enter a blood covenant, they would exchange a number of things. By the way, you notice how that when we get married today, we exchange a ring. That is a, that is a uh, part of a ritual that has its roots in the ancient blood covenant. Among the various things that would be exchanged in the, particularly in the, uh, the, the Semitic blood covenant rituals that Abraham would have been involved with was not only the sacrificial animal, but the exchange of a number of items. And one of them was an exchange of weapons. The two parties would come together and exchange swords or spears or weapons. And that that exchange of weapons was in effect saying, now we are one. Your enemies are now my enemies. If someone attacks you, they attack me. My enemies are now your enemies, so when I'm under attack, I get to call on you. And so you could see why uh, chiefs and heads of tribes and nations would come together and form covenants because it, it took two relatively smaller nations and made a a greater alliance out of them. And to this day, people still do it. That, that principle still is worked out today. 
But the covenant that God enters into is called the blood covenant. Once you're in, you died to get into it. So there's no getting out. That's why those, that heifer was slain. If you want to get out, if you say, you know what, I'm not that, I'm tired of Jesus, no more Jesus, then you go back to being not the life you were before, but the dead half of the cow. That's the life you get to have. That's what you, because that's really all you were before. We were all dead sinners. We just hadn't fallen over yet. You ever notice yet? I don't know how many of you watch all the zombie shows and everything. <laughs> Got to hit them in the head. It's the only way to take them out. They're dead. They just haven't fallen over yet. And so that, the Bible says that's what we are when we're living in sin. We're not really living. We're dream walking, just waiting to die. And God loves us and doesn't want us to die and just fade off into oblivion, into a dark eternity without Him. And so He came, He came into this world as Jesus Christ and He died for us. He paid that penalty of death in order to give us life. So when He woke you up from the dead, there, there's nothing to go back to unless you want to go back to being dead half of beef. So you see, that's, that's where, where you're at. So... When, we, when, when the weapons were exchanged, it means that, and by the way, they would also bring something else. They would bring a, a, a bank statement. I'm, I'm just going to use modern terminology. They would bring a statement of all of your assets and your liabilities, your entire worth, a list of all, everything you owe and everything you have, put it on the table. Now, Abraham comes and says, well, I got a wife. She's a wonderful woman, good looker. Man, even old, you know, the, down in Egypt, the king wants her for his harem. She's a doll. Um, not, 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 uh, not too much going on in the childbearing department, however. Sorry. So he brings his stuff. Well, God brings his. You know, before you start thinking, oh, I don't know if I really like the idea of being a blood covenant. I got to I got to uh, um, uh, declare everything, put it on the table for God. Yeah, 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 yeah. But forget, don't forget, God's putting everything He has on the table, all His assets, everything He is, everything He has, everything that makes Him God. He's putting on the table that constitutes the oneness that you are. I mean, when you really start thinking about this, it will blow a fuse every now and then in your mind. But I always recommend that Christians learn a little bit about the blood covenant because you need to understand when you're in the middle of trouble, you're in the middle of a jam, you call on Jesus we have such a weak, anemic concept of faith. We think, well, you know, I'm just trusting that God's love and Lord, I call on you and I'm so down and worried about the money thing. But when you understand blood covenant, you understand those resources have been put together and uh, the, the uh, access you have to heaven through that blood covenant. Man, all of a sudden, the reason for praising God and, and trusting him. So Abraham asked, how will I know? That what you say is true, God says, bring a heifer. I'm going to show you how you know. I intend to take myself, my throne, and all of my eternal being and put it 
on the table with this relationship with you. Wow. Is there anything beyond that? Nope, I don't think so. Considering that he holds the universe between his thumb and pinky in the palm of his hand. No, I don't think there's a whole lot that's left out of this thing. Glory to God. That's why the Bible says that we're called to rule and reign with him. Hallelujah. So the next time you, your trials have made you small and diminished you and you think, man, I'm alone, I'm just a little speck, I'm going under, I'm a little firefly about to die, just remember where you stand in God's universe and who you are in Christ. So that kind of summarizes the, the purpose for the blood covenant was so that through the blood covenant, God purchased your relationship with him, with his own life, and then put it in the bank of heaven. So your relationship with Jesus Christ, you might think, is in danger sometimes because you're slip-sliding and goofing up. But the Bible says that he purchased that relationship, and it's sitting up in the bank of heaven. And trust me, that relationship is there. Glory to God. So now let's take the last few minutes. Let's talk about praise. And what does praise have to do with the covenant? Well, first of all, your praise, when you praise the Lord like we were doing this morning, when you really put your mind and heart, when I say put your heart into it, I'm not talking about um, really getting loud and getting down. I'm talking about your mind. Your, your, all of us have been in a situation where our spouse comes to us and says, oh, honey, I love you. Yeah, I love you too. And you didn't even think about it. You just said it. Yep, I love you. you know, love you. Love you. you can, we contract it down to a little We don't even say the words. It says, love. What? What was that? Love. Yeah, love. And, and so it, it just begins to become an effort to it. And when you were first married, oh, we sat up all night and described how we felt about each other. You know, it's like, well, let me tell you, I, when I think of you, I think of, I think of a wildcat. I think of a mountain. Oh, I, I think of a beautiful, lily-laden field. Oh, yeah? Yeah, well, I, I think of the snow bank. And, you know, when you just you sit up four or five hours laying up in bed going at it, just talking, well, whatever. You get the idea. So, you know, as years go by, it gets down to, yeah, love you, yeah, thanks. Um, so, the fact is that God has given us the ability to praise Him. And praising God, when we praise Him, when we when we declare our praise to Him, and that's why I went into that. I was saying, when you praise Him from your heart, you're thinking about what you're saying. It's not just, oh yeah, I love you too. But when you truly praise the Lord, praise, your praise, is looking into the unseen reality. Remember the verse that we opened up with. Your temporary afflictions are working for you a far more exceeding weight of glory while you look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. So God is saying when you're going through these terrible circumstances that are threatening your life, threatening your health, threatening your finances, threatening your relationships, threatening your sanity, I want you to look away from those. And I want you to not just put your head under the covers and look away, but look away to me. Look to me. Look to the blood covenant. Look to what I have said. See, a lot of you just look away. Just grab a beer and look away. 
But no, no, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, looking to me. So when we begin to praise the Lord, we are, when you praise God, you are looking to the unseen reality. When your emotions are looking at the temporary shortages that threaten you, that's when you open the checkbook of praise, man. Hallelujah. And reveal the permanent wealth of your account in heaven's bank. He paid for my relationship with Him. My praise is opening the checkbook and writing a check. Every time I praise Him, every time I truly from my heart give Him praise, I am calling upon the wealth of my relationship with Jesus in the face of the shortages, trials, and uh, uh, resistance that the enemy is raising up against me. When God first came to Abram to make a blood covenant with him, he opened up with this phrase. Listen to this. Imagine Abraham, God speaking to him, and the first words out of God's mouth are, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your abundant um, compensation and your reward shall be exceedingly great. That was God's opener. I am your shield, and I am your abundant compensation. Wow. <laughs> Think about it. God is saying, when you're attacked, I'm your shield. When you've got debts, I'm your abundant compensation. I intend to become one with you so that you will have an eternal resource every time you go through a trial. So when you praise, how do you access that? Blood covenant, what I'm trying to say is, the blood covenant gives you authority to make your praise valid in heaven. Now anybody can run around, I put it on the TV sometimes, and you see those, when they, when they uh, show these big galas, these big performances at the Lincoln Center, and they trot out some celebrities, or some group or some uh, uh, choir or something, and they're singing some old gospel song or whatever. Look, anyone can sing praises. Just running around saying praise you, Jesus, or singing praise songs is not necessarily praising the Lord. But when someone who is in a blood covenant with Jesus is praising Him, they're writing a check on the bank of heaven. They are singing about their relationship with God. You're not just singing about abstract facts about God. You're singing about the facts about God that are in you. You're singing about the glory, the mercy, the grace, the help, the long-suffering, the attributes of God that are at work in your life, that are available to you. So you're getting that checkbook out and you are praising Him. And when you praise the Father... When you give Him worship like we did this morning and when you're praising Him throughout your day or in your home, what it does is it reframes your situation within the context of your covenant relationship of oneness with Him rather than your circumstances. When those circumstances arise in your life and you're threatened by those circumstances, they're real. They're real. Are they not real? They're real. But the Lord says, when those circumstances present themselves, begin to praise God, who is your shield, who is your abundant compensation. Just begin to praise Him, because what you're doing when you praise Him, it reframes your vision. 
It reframes the whole situation so that the situation isn't being dictated by those circumstances. It's being dictated by who Jesus said you are in Him and what you have because of Him. God wants your praise to have to be tied to a blood covenant com uh, comprehension. He, when you praise Him, wants you to understand you are acting on the blood covenant. You are enacting that covenant. Can you say amen? So 2 Corinthians 3.18 in the New Testament says, All of us, with an unveiled face, as we behold the glory of God, we are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. The way we behold the glory of God is by praising Him. Have you ever noticed that when you, if let's say you're alone during your devotional time with the Lord and you begin, just let yourself praise Him. Go from thinking to actual praising. And you lift your voice. You're in your own house, you're alone, and just begin to praise the Lord. When you begin to praise God, you start seeing the things that you're declaring. They, they leave the cloudy, abstract realm of your thought life and they become defined and pronounced as you utter them out into the air, as you speak them out, they crystallize into the truths that you are referring to. Those truths are real. The things that you and I are saying out of God's Word about what Christ has done for us are real. And when we give them expression through our praise, we're not just articulating them and bringing them out into crystal clarity, but we're laying claim to them. Through our praise, we are identifying as the ones to whom those things were spoken. We're identifying ourselves to the, as the ones for whom God said those things. And so praising God calls forth facts about you that are hidden in Christ. When you and I, and I'm going to close with this thought, and then we're going to pray together. When, when you and I are in the middle of a trial, those trials are talking to us. They're telling us you're done for. You're too small for this situation. You're sick. You're, and by the way, those trials are not always just lying. They're, your bank account really is empty. It's not pretending to be empty. If you come back from the doctor and he says, you've got cysts in your body. Those are not pretend cysts. You do have cysts in your body. They're really there. Because if it wasn't real, then Jesus wouldn't have to really die on the cross. See, if the conditions weren't real, then the salvation wouldn't have had to be real. The whole reason why the salvation was real is because the conditions are real. So God's not saying pretend it isn't real. God is saying there's a healing somewhere. There's a deliverance. There's a compensation. There's a way out when it doesn't seem like there's any way out. And so when you and I are confronted with trials and we're confronted with circumstances, those circumstances talk to you. They tell you you're limited. There's no way out of this one. And when you can't see a way, it's because you're looking at the circumstances. You know, that is what makes a trial a trial. It wouldn't be a trial if you could see a way out. 
When you can't see a way out, you know it's a real trial. But that's not all there is to you. Trials talk to you about you, and they say to you, you are a loser. You are defeated. You're not going to expand beyond this point in your life. But what praising God does is it reframes the situation. It takes it up to a higher level, and it reveals that there's more about you than what the trials are saying. There's more to you than what the trials are talking about. That's why God is always pulling upon you and trying to get you to praise Him. Not because He needs reassurance, but because you need reassurance. You need to be reminded of the God who is all those things in you and is looking for you to praise Him so that He can raise those things up in your life. Can you say amen? amen? So that verse that we opened up with, we'll close with, it says those momentary light afflictions are putting to work for us a far more exceeding weight of glory while we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. And when you praise God, you are reaching beyond what is seen into the unseen bank of heaven. And the Bible says those things are eternal and they are deathless. That's why I say that the life that saved you and I is the life that killed death. Hallelujah. Glory.